This podcast is a member of the Pokecasters Network. For more information, go to pokecastersnetwork.com. Welcome to the Pokepress Digest Podcast, a Pokemon news magazine show. Here you'll find some of the best content offered by our site. For more, visit us at pokepress.blogspot.com. In this episode, Anne from PE Podcast helps me discuss the music of Pokemon Detective Pikachu. There's a variety of music to cover, with multiple ending themes, a score, and promotional material. Be sure to listen after the outro to get all of it, including our opinions on the movie itself. Thanks. Hi folks, Steven here. I'm on the phone with Anne from PeeWee Podcast. And we're doing another little uh, out-of-order discussion. This time we're talking about the music of the recently released Detective Pikachu movie. Uh, So this is one, I mean, we've been anticipating the movie itself, but also the music for quite a while, ever since we found out about it. Now, those of you that have been on our regular discussions, you know we usually take one of the anime and movies, and we usually wind up comparing the English ending theme song to the Japanese ending theme song. Well, as I guess a bit of a treat, we get to do kind of the same thing here. On the English side, we have Rita Ora and Kaigu, or Kaigo, or we're going to butcher some names on this episode, um, kind of unfortunately. But they do Carry On, which is, I guess you could say, the de facto English ending theme. And um, we don't go too far into it, but... Um, and can you just briefly list who's on the Japanese, quote-unquote, side this time? Uh, okay, I'll go into it more later, but yes, electricity. Um, yeah, is, I guess, the Japanese ending theme, although they're both on both movies, as far as I can tell, has Feral Williams, Honest Boys, and Little Uzi Vert. Yeah, so kind of an interesting setup. I, I kind of like it that they went with a, a dual ending theme song setup uh, for this one, but... Yeah, we're going to talk about those songs. Uh, We're going to do the usual process. We're going to talk about the artists and things of that nature. And since I think we usually let you go first, why don't you talk about the Japanese artists and stuff of that nature? Well, to be honest, so many of my artists are American. Like Farrell Williams, I could tell you a bit about him, um, but... Most of you have already heard most of his music. He's a rapper, singer, songwriter from America, born in Virginia, a bit of a band nerd, and rose up through the music industry and and is currently enjoying fame and fortune over here. Honest Boys is the Japanese uh, influence here. They are um, a five-member hip-hop group that is actually relatively new in that They've only recently come together, but all the five of the members have been in the music scene for a while. We have Naoto and Mandy from um, Exile and Nigo, um, Sway from Doberman Infinity and Verbal from Mflow. So like, these are some guys that have been around for a long time um, and coming together as a kind of groovy hip hop group. Um, and then Little Uzi Vert is... Um, also from America, he's an American rapper, singer-songwriter, born Seymour Woods. Um, he, he kind of began experimenting with rap in the 10th grade, and he has a very sort of different style. He raps very fast, and people kind of say he has a bit of a rock feel to his rapping. Like, some call his style emo rap, and since his inspirations are groups like Marilyn Manson and Paramore, My Chemical Romance, you can kind of see where those flavors start to... Um, start to fit in and had a lot of breakthroughs with mixtapes and and has been able to collaborate with a lot of artists working his way up the ladder and is kind of one of the up-and-coming people to watch now. Um, he's getting to open with the big names at events and music festivals now here in 2019. Um, However, don't Google him at work because in his personal life, he is known uh, for promoting Satanism to the point where his record label took his Instagram away. So Google him um, at, in your own private time. <laughs> Gee, I thought we dealt with this a couple episodes ago when we talked about the power of us. But um, <laughs> I guess we can't escape these types of things. Any idea how this sort of uh, the production came together? It's kind of an interesting grab bag of folks there. 
Indeed. Um, doing some research into it, um, Farrell Williams has worked with um, Honest Boys as a unit before. He's also worked with some of their the groups they came from, like Exile and such. Um, and so has Little Uzi Vert. So he's worked with Farrell. He's worked with a few overseas artists. Nigo um, from Honest Boys has collaborated with a lot of American um, rappers and hip-hop artists. So I, I guess how it came together is the hip-hop community must communicate very well with each other. You, you find somebody that you jam with and you you hang on to them. So all the news articles I read say it just seemed natural. Like they thought of these people when they were thinking of people to work for, when they thought of someone to produce, Farrell Williams came to mind. When he thought of who's he going to work with, this up and coming Japanese group came to mind, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, yeah, kind of neat. I, I do think, I think I read, does, does Farrell Williams, does he have any kids? I think that might be another entry point for him getting into the franchise. He does have a son, yes. Um, let's see if, oh, no, I don't have his birth date. So I don't know, he's probably not of the era to have watched the show, but he uh, he does have a child who who may have grown up watching this. Yeah, that's actually a pretty common thing with, with just actually with video game movies in general. On the Pokemon side, of course, uh, uh, Elliot Sloan from Blessed Union Souls didn't know much about Pokemon, but his son sure did. And similar story with Donna Summer. Actually, uh, one of the reasons Raul Julia did M. Bison in the live-action Street Fighter movie is that his kids love the game, uh, or so I've heard at least. So you do kind of find that stuff with some of this younger-focused stuff. Their parents will get involved as actors or musicians through that kind of thing. And I wouldn't be surprised if some of that factored in here. Right, Yeah. Any other background or production details you kind of wanted to put in there? Um, not on the production side, no. I'm much more interested in talking about the song itself. Yeah, I couldn't make out too much of it. But uh, I think with that being said, let's talk about the production on the English side. Let me punch up my notes. Mm-hmm. Rita Ora is actually a very interesting person just in general. Uh, even if you don't uh, aren't interested in her music, she has a, an interesting life story. So she was born in 1990 in uh, what was then Yugoslavia and is would now be the Kosovo portion of the former Yugoslavia. Uh, some of you with uh, world history backgrounds might know that in the early 90s and such that uh, things in Eastern Europe were a little bit uh, rocky for a little bit as the uh, former communist bloc was uh, breaking up. But uh, when she was about one, her family moved to the UK to sort of flee persecution in the uh kind of deteriorating situation there. So she doesn't really have any memories from there, but that if you're wondering why her last name doesn't sound t- terribly British, that's probably part of the reason there. Um, but she sort of got into music as a kid and uh, sort of worked up from there. Her first album was in 2012, more or less self-titled. And uh, then there was kind of a big break in her career. She had some, I don't know, business-type issues, record business-type issues with her label or whatever. And then she finally put out another album, I guess, last year called Phoenix. And she signed with, uh, this name might make a little bit of sense, Atlantic Records. And in between, she did some other stuff. She actually acted in the uh, movie adaptations of the Fifty Shades uh, novels. So uh, if you thought Ryan Reynolds was the only person on this project who had somewhat of an, I guess, an R-rated movie background, no. (laughs) (laughs) But in any case, she played, I guess, Mia Gray. I don't know if that's the the title character or if that's just part of a family or something, because I really know very little about those movies or the book series. (laughs) Uh, But you may also remember that um, she uh, has a, not a a tiny part, not a huge part either. She plays uh, one of the scientists in the lab uh, there. Dr. Anne Laurent, I think is how that's uh, pronounced there. Sort of a carryover of one of the game characters. But that's that's who she is. And like I said, she's um, still obviously working and uh, in the music industry. And uh, I think we can expect some interesting things from her in the future. So Kaigu or Kaigo, it, it's spelled K-Y-G-O is his stage name. So he's from Norway, uh, another familiar country, I think, in the terms of the history of Pokemon music. But he was actually born in Singapore uh, before at some point moving back. Uh, let's see, I have his, like, birth name is, oh, I'm going to butcher this, but 
Kyer Gorvel Dahl. Hopefully I got that kind of close to what it was. He's, he's known in the house music genre, which um, I can never keep all the uh, sub-electronica uh, genres straight personally, but house is kind of an, a, a more, it sort of came out after the disco era. It was sort of a way to do more electronic stuff in that somewhat similar style, but still divorced enough from it. He's known well in a couple of subgenres of house that one of which we'll come up with later. Uh, one of his inspirations include uh, this is another tough name uh, Avicii, I think A V I C I I. You may yeah. remember he died a year or two ago, which is kind of sad. And sorry we have to mention that. Uh, but it looks like as far as uh, Kaigu, his first album was in 2016 called Cloud Nine which is actually kind of an interesting name. And then, let's see, 2017 Kids in Love appears to be his latest album. As far as how this song comes together, I'm not entirely sure. I don't know if uh, Rita was cast in the movie. I um, unfortunately haven't seen too many interviews about with her about it. She was cast in the movie, and then they decided to do the song, or if uh, they decided to do the song and they said, hey, we got a, a not a huge part, but a, a decent part for you in here, and she decided to take that up too. But in addition to her and uh, Kaigu, um, there were four other folks involved in writing Carry On. Uh, Josh Kumbi, Natalie Dunn, let's see, Ilian Kidron, and Afshin Samani. I'm sorry, I'm really, a lot of foreign names here. Good to have the diversity in music and all that, but hard on my tongue. <laughs> in any case, uh, I think they sort of, refer to that as sort of a tropical house uh, subgenre, which we'll talk about more later when we talk about the song. But there's also a music video. I also found a couple live performances. Um, but I'm not sure exactly how much this was written for the movie or how exactly. Uh, some of these seem to definitely be associates of Rita and, and Kaigo. But uh, I don't know too much else besides that about how this song ended up there. Um, we'll probably we'll speculate more about that later. Okay, uh, and did you uh, you did any research on this side? I was uh, in charge of, I guess, most of the quote unquote English side here. Anything to add? <laughs> um, oh, I did do some research actually. I was really impressed. Um, both of them um, seem to be involved in a lot of charity works and philanthropy. And um, Rita Ora, especially, like is an honorary ambassador to Kosovo and seems to do a lot of work trying to um, raise awareness for children's issues and refugee issues, women's issues for, uh, for people who are in struggling situations where the political climate of the country may not be as we would like. I found that very interesting and inspiring. Yeah, I, I remember growing up hearing about the conflicts in the former Yugoslavia in the early to mid '90s, and um, you know, because it was used to be one big country. And now there's also some of the other uh, former Yugoslav republics. You may hear them referred to as one. One of the other ones you would know is uh, Bosnia Herzegovina. Uh, was a big one in like um, I don't know '93, '94. There was some conflict there, and and things of that nature. So very interesting. Uh, folks on this one, I have to say, um, just just from that perspective, I hope she hope she gets to write a, a book someday. That might be kind of interesting. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, that's about what we know about on the technical side. Let's talk about the um, uh, the the songs themselves. And we're going to flip it back over to you. So you you've mentioned some things like rap or hip hop or stuff like that. How would you kind of describe the style of uh, electricity? Well, it it's sort of a children's song meets hip-hop in a way. Like, it's got this very positive, relaxed, bouncy vibe, but it's it's still very much like an R&B-type song. I'm kind of finding it hard to classify, because I, th I think definitely it lives firmly in sort of an R&B hip-hop world, but there's something about the instrumentation and... It almost seems to be all major chords that you, you like. It doesn't have that hard, violent edge that you sometimes hear in a lot of R and B or hip hop. It, it's got much more of a, a playful vibe to it. So I'm finding it very interesting. Like you only have heard it in the theater, and then I've only heard it that way as well. What, what were your takes on it? Well, there's like I said, there's some small parts of it that are in English, presumably from the uh, American rapper there. And mm. um, I caught some of that. Um, it has a, 
I don't know if bouncy is quite the right way to refer to it. There's definitely <laughs> a, a bit of a vibe there. I've only really heard it a couple times because this this one is unfortunately not commercially released. I have seen the movie twice. I watched it again yesterday with my mom. It it I haven't had nearly the opportunity to listen to as many times as Carry On, so I don't have it mm. as firmly rooted in my head as I would probably like, especially since most of it is in Japanese. So right. that kind of makes things difficult. Um, so maybe not a ton from me to say on sort of the the feel <laughs> there, just because it doesn't stick in my head uh, all that well. It, it's certainly not like Together with the Wind or Make or uh, a small thing or stuff like that. The the melody wasn't as memorable to me as some of those certainly but uh there are certainly some there's a few english lyrics but there are also a lot of japanese lyrics um what exactly is this song talking about andy you know it kind of seems to be a lot of adventure pokemon sort of things like um we're travelers. We're passing through the long nights. The rain will clear and the sun smiles and we're, we're going to explore the world and the galaxy. Um, and then there's a whole bunch of sections where they're talking about, um, not being able to give up and talking about different kinds of people or Pokemon. Like some of us only come out at night. Some of us live down in the sea, but I'm different. And they find a good way to use the words electricity and um, in Japanese, like pika pika, the onomatopoeic word to kind of convey sparks or twinkling. Um, it, it's just a very fun song. It uses a lot of a lot of onomatopoeic phrases like bura bura, yura yura, and and stuff like that, and, and just kind of. In the way that hip hop does, kind of using the words as a rhythm and kind of letting not just what you say, but how you say it drive the feel of the song. Um, and that, I guess that's what I meant by bouncy earlier was they, they use words in a very creative way to kind of convey this electricity and all the normal things we expect from a Pokemon song, um, of traveling and, you know, going on an adventure and meeting each other. Um, but it also uses, the fact that they're using both Japanese and English to make some interesting points of, like, they say, we can't talk to each other in Japanese. Um, and then in English, it'll come out, but we know, we know each other's hearts. So we know our words. And, um, you know, they'll say one phrase in English and then answer it in Japanese and the such. Um, which is a theme that was talked about in the movie a bit. Whereas, like, the Pokemon, you know, they don't speak human language, but they don't need to know what the words mean to understand what a human is feeling and saying. Yeah, that, that that's actually a, a really good point. I was about to point that out myself. Thanks for bringing it up. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that is definitely one of the themes of the movie is that uh, the Pokemon, I mean, I would assume that the Pokemon that live in the city have picked up on most of the common human phrases, um, <laughs> as opposed to some of the wild Pokemon that we see on sort of the outskirts that are a little more um, not as clued in to this type of thing. Um, yeah, sort of, sort of like a, a, a you know a wild wolf versus a domesticated dog, that type of scenario, right? Um, but yeah, that's a, a neat thing. It makes me really kind of wish I understood more of it there because it sounds like there was some really good thought that was put into the writing, at least of the lyrics there. Um, I'm gonna have to hopefully this becomes a little easier to listen to at some point, and then I can. Uh, maybe take a closer listen, but you know I have very few Japanese skills, so I'm not sure how <laughs> how helpful it's going to be. But it was great shedding some light on there. I think there's some some good stuff in there. I may have to try and look up a translation. Any other parts of the song that kind of map into what happens in the movie or th certain things from the movie? Yeah, there's some words about memories and things, um, but there is a section where it talks about the words are have descended upon me from the past and the future, um, and it's a twerp dimensional, like they actually use the word Team Rocket uses for twerp in Japanese, um, jari. Um, I think it's supposed to be a pun. I'm not sure exactly how that's supposed to translate. But yeah, the call out to Team Rocket there was fun. But also, like, there's just that concept of the fathers and the sons that Mewtwo was bringing up and the past and the future that both the villains were trying to kind of bring about and Mewtwo as well. I don't know, like, yeah, the, <laughs> there were a lot of deeper themes that I need, like, five more watches on this movie to really put into words. But yeah, talking about how, like, the words have the power 
to change our reality and like bring the past and the future together or like just reminds me a lot of like that son and that father coming together in a way they didn't expect while you know our villains were a son and a father who kind of came apart in a way that we didn't expect yeah yeah i guess i should have mentioned definite spoilers in this discussion so if for some crazy reason you haven't seen this movie yet (laughs) and you're watching this Yeah, I'm not sure exactly what uh, what 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 would have led to that, but I'm sure it's possible. All right, yeah. Now there isn't a um, any other side material for this. Like I said, it hasn't even really been commercially released. It sounds like we were just talking before this. Uh, we recorded this th- that this is sort of the, their first big uh, single and stuff like that, and they want to try and maybe they couldn't get it all worked out in time for the movie's release. Does that sound like that might have happened there? Yeah, it's hard to say what the exact reasoning is, but Honest Boys, they've released one or two singles domestically in Japan, um, but this would be their first worldwide international release, signing with an international label and releasing something properly worldwide. And just knowing how Japan kind of does their promotional, um, like they make a big deal out of the debut and an international debut is a thing. I imagine that they probably have a bit more hype that they're going to be doing around their own country before and maybe and maybe some promo overseas as well before this hits sales but it is coming okay well i think we should uh, head back over to the english side carry on i had mentioned um was oh tropical house so um i was looking up the genre definition because like i said i cannot keep all the uh, electronica subgenres straight because there are dozens of them. And all magic. In any case, it, what it usually does is it means it's uh, it is house music, but it has uh, rather than sort of a a harsher, heavier vibe to it, it. It's still very you know percussion and whatnot in there, but it has more of an uplifting feel to it um, than than regular uh, quote unquote I guess you could say garden variety house music does. Uh, based on what I read there. And I, I think that, I mean, obviously a song like Carry On is, well, I suppose you could go in more than one way just from the title, but uh, given the movie and stuff like that, uh, you kind of want it to have more of a positive vibe. I think that that makes a lot of sense. I'm not sure how much, I mean, I listen to a pretty wide diversity of music, but I'm not usually too up on the popular music trends of the day. I tend to listen to popular music mostly on, like, planes and stuff of that nature to get, like, parody ideas. So I'm not sure I'm the best person to sort of describe this, but, yeah, uplifting, going back to that, is probably the, a pretty good way to describe it. Is that sort of the, the vibe you got from the overall tone of the song, Anne? Definitely, and maybe I'd add, like, that it has a little bit of a dreamy quality to it. In places, yeah, certainly the the background vocals that Rita does definitely give it uh, sort of a, a a dreamy quality. Although I have to mention that uh, Kaigu's uh, first album was called Cloud Nine, which I'm not mistaken is uh, got a little plus here of Psyduck, <laughs> which I think is also one of Psyduck's uh, abilities. Total coincidence, I'm sure, but I felt like mentioning it. Or is um, it? <laughs> Anywho, um, that's sort of uh, what I had to say there. It, it's certainly not like a sort sort of heavy. It's not the most energetic instrumentation either. It's it, we're going to do some comparisons to, I guess you could say the last sort of uh, one of the earlier. I guess is maybe a better way to put it. Pop acts to do a Pokemon song that was heavily promoted to radio and stuff like that. Um, and I think we're going to have some interesting contrasts to draw there, but. Um, you kind of see that it is fairly light and and of that nature. Is, is, is what I just said there make any sense, Anne? <laughs> Absolutely. No, I think you covered it well. <laughs> All right. Well, let's let's talk about the lyrics. Obviously, there's there are some things I don't necessarily. I said I would when I first heard this song. I would reserve judgment until or final judgment on this song. I mean, I guess you got to give that time until after I had seen the movie, and having seen the movie now, I, I mean, there are some definite parallels to, you can talk about with either the relationship with, with uh, Tim and his father, slash Detective Pikachu, sorry to spoil that ending there, and things of, of that nature, you know, to carry on for someone else to sort of try and solve, you know, his dad's last case that he was working on when he 
uh, allegedly died and stuff of that nature. That was kind of a one th- thread that Cora carried through there. Uh, what, what did you notice, Anne? I... Uh, the chorus is like, you found me and you made me into something new. Like, lead me through the deepest waters. I promise I'll carry... Like, that is what Pokemon is all about, is we find each other and through Pokemon training, we're made into something better. And because our trainer pulls us through the hard times and because our Pokemon takes us through these hard challenges, we carry on, we become stronger together. Like, like I might cry. Like, that's deep. <laughs> that's <laughs> That's exactly what this franchise in this movie is supposed to be <laughs> yeah there's definitely some very good uh pokemon uh type things there yeah the tie-in with the um becoming a better version of yourself um, yeah although there is obviously as you know if you've seen the movie an imperfect messenger for that who, who i think first states that but um, but but tim and Pikachu, who, spoiler alert, is actually his father, like, they kind of have that same situation. Because Tim finds Pikachu, he's become something new because he was able to interact with Pikachu. The dad has a connection to his son that he didn't have before, that he always wanted. Um, Because they went through this dangerous situation together, they learned to care about each other in a way they didn't have before and became different people. And I don't know, there's something very sweet about that. Yeah, there is. It's not as, I think, it's definitely not as gut-wrenchingly tied to the lyrics as uh, We're a Miracle, which, as we've pointed out many times, wasn't actually written for Pokemon the first movie. So it is maybe a little bit, <laughs> I think I maybe, this is to spoil my kind of opinion, I suspect it's something that would tie in a little more closely to certain plot events in the movie or stuff like that, in sort of a like a, a non-explicit Pokemon way. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, if you've seen the movie, you would get that, uh, rather than sort of more of the thematic elements. Um, I think I kind of expected something a little bit different there. Um, and I guess the deepest water is maybe not the best analogy. Cause I mean, they go to like the docks and stuff like that, but they're never going to like the ocean or whatever rhyme city's nearest major body of water is. There's a stream or something like right. that. So, yeah, it's not literal, but definitely metaphorical. They go through some rough stuff, so... Absolutely. And, you know, I mean, obviously, it's also kind of doubly works as kind of a love song, which is, I guess, sort of its uh, nod or or in to like radio play and stuff of that nature. Um, Certainly uh, a little bit there. Uh, Any other lyrics or other elements that uh, sort of caught your attention there, Anne? Um, No, that was that was the big one was the chorus. All right. Well, um, I did say we were going to compare this to a previous Pokemon song. And let's see, I get another prop that I get to bring up. So, for the first time in a very long time, unless you count, well, there was that Can't Stop Catching Them All. This is kind of the first song in a long time that has like an official, highly produced uh, music video for it. Uh, Of course, the last one was, let's see, does that come up on screen? I can see the hole. Oh, wait. There you go. That's, yeah, Don't Say You Love Me by M2M from the first movie. Also not uh, maybe directly tied in, although that has a different story behind it. And that one wasn't, was like slightly edited, but not really written for the movie, that, whereas Carry On was. But as you probably know, Carry On does have a full music video, uh, which has Rita, uh, I don't think, I don't think Kagu is, is, is shown anywhere in the video in particular, like in the background or anything, but I don't recognize him that well. He's, uh, as opposed to Rita, who's wearing that yellow uh, raincoat slash jacket or whatever it is. And she's sort of going through sets from the movie and sort of going around town driving. And then we have little clips from there. To be honest, I mean, with a movie music video, especially if it's going to be released a few weeks before, you don't want to spoil too much. Um, which, you know, for this discussion, I did go back and rewatch uh, Don't Say You Love Me, the Pokemon version of that music video, because recall there are two versions. And uh, that mm, doesn't spoil a ton either, but I don't know. I, I feel like I should have something here to say that sort of summarizes things, but I think we're going to have to work our way towards that. And uh, <laughs> you, you saw this music video. What were your kind of thoughts? Well, I liked it and I didn't like it. I've I've never been a fan of music videos that intercut between the singer and 
and scenes from the movie very much, especially if it's an animated and a live action. Obviously, Detective Pikachu is a bit straddling that line. Like, I've just, it just seems to jar me. And I always feel I'd rather just see an entire montage of the movie or just the singer's music video. But that said, like, I do think the, if they were going to do that, the choices of scenes they used and, um, and like the sets that Rita walked through were choice. Like, it looked really good. It had a nice vibe of kind of searching for something. Um, like, it, it's had a bit of an emotional journey even. So, like, I mean, I liked it. I would have rather just have Rita <laughs> in that whole music video, though. I suppose. To be honest, I don't know that I got quite as much as you did out of that music video. I mean, it isn't <laughs> bad <fine>. or anything. <laughs> it isn't, you know, garish or anything. It It uses some things fairly well. I mean... The most notable thing is there's a lot of lightning bolts, I guess, in this music video that are added as as post-production effects. And, you know, one of them sort of illuminates uh, Rita, and you can see her shadow looks like Detective Pikachu, uh, which mm-hmm. is a, a fun little touch. I'd equate that to kind of um, in the Pokemon version of Don't See You Love Me's music video, where as they're about to start the second verse, they have that shot of uh, Raichu and Pikachu from the the uh, vacation short running along that trench or whatever it is with their cheeks against each other. And that, that I think, might have been a little more, more tight editing. I'm not sure. I, like I said, and I, I think you got more of uh, – it's not a bad <laughs> music video. And it obviously has a very different tone to it than Don't Say You Love Me, which is uh, at a movie mm-hmm. – at a drive-in movie theater – as opposed to Carry On, which uses a, um, uh, like I said, is going through some of the movie sets and ostensibly Rhyme City, she's driving around and stuff of that nature. Um, mm. I don't know, Anne, uh, any, any thoughts in that area? I, I tried to appreciate it, but as I said, I just, I tend not to care for those types of music videos that mm-hmm. intercut with footage from a movie. I, I want it to be one or the other, so... <laughs> Well, there is one idea I kind of wanted to float out there. I kind of wanted to ask Anne, um, remember back in the day, back in, what, season two of the Pokemon anime, and they did some variations on this. They did, uh, but in season two, they did a thing called Pikachu's Jukebox. Right. Where, right, where they would take songs back then from To Be a Master, mm-hmm. and they would put those on there, and they would have the, you know, the lyrics scrolling by at the bottom. I kind of wish they had gone uh, the extra step here. And done that kind of like Detective Pikachu edition of Pikachu's jukebox, I think would have been fun because it did like uh, a couple who's that Pokemon things on social media and in in, uh, promotional stuff. And I think that would have been a fun way to sort of go back there is to have like the CGI Pikachu like you saw at the beginning of those. And then have like the the lyrics going in there. I think that would have been a nice nod to the the original, you know, Gen One audience. Uh, what do you think about that? That could have been really fun. Yeah, <laughs> what an idea! Especially since I, I that was a lot of those aired on WB. Who like they distributed this movie? Am I not right? Yeah, yeah, we're going to get into that because this thing changed hands partway through, <laughs> and I think that may have affected the music. Although it's hard to say for sure. But I did want to put out the the Pikachu's jukebox idea because I think that would have been a very nice touch that would have made things maybe a a bit more interesting. But yeah, I don't know that I got a ton. I think I got maybe a little more. um, Don't say you love me because it has an alternate non-Pokemon version is a little bit different because it needs to stand on its own without that footage. Mm. So it's structurally a little bit different. It has its own sort of little quote-unquote plot. Like I said, music videos don't have to be (laughs) works of, you know like Scorsese level type stuff or anything like that. But I you know I won't I won't begrudge it for existing. I think they could have done more with it, but that's that's kind of just me and, and let us know if you have any thoughts on that one. Weird Miracle wasn't written or rewritten to work with Pokey on the first movie. And if for some reason you don't believe me on that, I do have an email from one of the folks behind the song. In any event, despite its unrelated origins, It seems to do a great job matching up with the film, but why is that? There's the obvious stuff, like references to a storm and tears early in the piece, and some later lyrics that provide a good summary of the relationship between Ash and Pikachu. However, there's another possible explanation. We Are a Miracle definitely features some of Christina's more aggressive vocal qualities. 
Normally this gives her songs a sensual vibe, but here it has the benefit of making her sound a bit more like, well, you know. Anyway, if you'd like to hear a more in-depth analysis of this song, as well as its Japanese equivalent, Together with the Wind, a few years ago I recorded a discussion with Anne from PV Podcast, and you should find a link in the episode description. Thanks. Okay, well, I think we should move on to sort of our compare and contrast part. This is the usual part <laughs> in our normal anime discussions where we talk about do we want uh, which version do we prefer and I sort of decide which one, which side each does better. I will say I am very interested. I, I kind of wish there was I could get like a subtitled version of the Japanese ending theme song because it sounds like they did some really interesting stuff that I'll I mean, some of it I'll probably never be able to appreciate unless I really study down and improve <laughs> my Japanese skills. But it does some sounds like it does some really interesting things um, from a lyrical perspective, but maybe not so much compositionally. Um, whereas I think Carry On may be a little more interesting melodically. Although, I, like I said, I wouldn't call this maybe the, you know, it's good. It's not bad or anything. It's just that it, um, I'm not sure exactly where I wanted to go with that. But um, in any case, it seems a little more interesting to me melodically. Like, even if I didn't, couldn't hear the words either of them, I would say that that one is a, a bit more interesting. Uh, is that kind of the dynamic you read there, Anne? Um, I'm very torn. And I'm going to give my answer with the caveat that it may change in the future just because... I don't feel we have the opportunity to listen to electricity in high depth as much, so I, I can't appreciate its musicality as much. I've heard Pharrell Williams remix um, a lot of Vocaloid music. Well, not a lot of Vocaloid music, but a lot of like different genres of music, including Vocaloid. And I'm always impressed that he does something that I would never have expected. And sometimes it works to my taste and sometimes it doesn't, but he has a willingness to try something different. And there's something about electricity that's very not what I expected. And as I said, when I was talking about the lyrics, it does a lot of things linguistically um, in the Japanese language that are very cool, as well as using the fact that it's working off of two different languages to convey a theme. That said, carry on that chorus, man, like, it almost made me cry and the idea of what Pokemon training is supposed to be and that it pushes you to carry on through hard times. I kind of think I'm going to give it to carry on again with the caveat that this may change once electricity releases proper and I am able to get a bit of a better sense of it. Yeah, we are definitely at a bit of a disadvantage here. I'm not sure. I don't know. I, I think that, um, Electricity is probably the more ambitious song, and whether it succeeds is difficult for me to say. Uh, it seems like it does some things well. Neither one of these is n – none of them are bad. I will be very clear about that. This is not a series where we go in and say everything's either pass, it's the greatest thing ever, or it's the worst thing, you know, it's worse than the plague or something like that. That's not what we do in this series. There is something in between where it's just – I mean, I, I like these – Reasonably well, they're fun to listen to, but they're also not, neither of these I don't think is going to be my favorite on either side. Like if we're putting them, ranking them in together with all of the like animated movie ending themes, um, I can definitely, there may be a bit above average, I would say in that if we're going to rank them in that, in that uh, table or pantheon or whatever there. I can see Electricity doing very well in Japan and Carry On doing very well in the US. Um, I don't know about other countries to be sure, but like the type of hip hop that's used in Electricity seems that it, to me, like it would fit in very well with the style of rap and hip hop that I usually hear coming out of Japan. So I, I have a feeling it could do very well there, whereas Carry On definitely speaks to my more Western sensibilities. Yeah. So it could be there was some deliberate choice to go wildly different directions. That's possible as well. I mean, I'm sure someone from at least the movie studio was was listening to both of these and maybe guided them in some ways, you know, both towards the source material, but also musically further apart. And that means we get two different songs. That's quite possible. It's hard to say because we don't have, like I said, the, the biographical information or them. the production <laughs> details. Um, I haven't really been able to find too much. 
but I think these both do. I, I don't not sure that I can really come with a with a favorite. I like I said for ambition, I would give electricity probably more stuff there for compositional stuff. I would definitely give carry on the nod there. I don't know because they do different things reasonably well. It's hard for me to say one is necessarily all that much better than the other. I'm going to call this kind of a a tie in different areas. If you kind of get what I, you know, an aggregate tie or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> they both have strengths that are that are different from each other, but they don't have uh, neither one of them is so strong in one of them that I have to put it on on top there. Mm. Okay, well there are a bunch of other musical aspects we should talk about. The first one we should definitely talk about is actually the score. Um, so they got uh, a guy by the name of, let's see, Henry Jackman, who has been, let's see, he's he's been working on scores for actually a long time. I actually did some research on him. It looks like, turns out he actually worked on, let's see, yeah, so I'm not sure how many of you remember this video game from back in the early 90s. This is called MC Kids, <gasps> and it is the thing implies there, this is a McDonald's-themed game. But he worked on the music, apparently, for the Commodore 64 version. You were seeing the cartridge for the NES version. Uh, in other territories, the game is known as McDonald Land. But I found that very interesting. I'm not sure if the music was created from scratch or if it's rearrangements from the NES version there. Uh, but back in the early 90s, he did a few video game uh, soundtracks there. And he's done some more recent ones in sort of the modern era as well. But... Let's see. He's he's from the UK originally, and uh, some of the more recent ones you might know. He's done a few of the uh, uh, MCU movie scores. He's done, as far as video game related stuff, he's done both of the uh, Wreck-It Ralph movie scores. So the original one and also Ralph Breaks the Internet that came out last year, as well as uh, the financially somewhat successful but critically panned uh, Pixels. Um, so he does have some some uh, experience in that area. Um, but he did the score along with, I think he had a few helpers uh, fill in some of the parts there. And the, the score album, uh, as well as Carry On, the, they're separate, but you can buy those both digitally. If you want a physical version, you're going to have to dig a little harder. Uh, I think some foreign territories have the mon- has the, the score on CD, but not here in America as far as I can tell, kind of unfortunately. But um, I'm unfortunately not too familiar with most of his other movies. I think I've seen one or two of them. Um, like, I think he, he worked on Turbo, the the snail movie, which I think also starred Ryan Reynolds, if I remember correctly, um, in a voice acting role. Um, but as far as sort of his approach to this particular score, there's a couple interesting elements to it. As far as major themes, the one main theme I would say is sort of the quote-unquote Rhyme City theme. It's the theme we first hear when we go there. It's hard for me to quote, but it actually kind of reminds me, the way it sort of jumps in pitch reminds me a little bit of what I've termed in the Pokemon games, the uh, Masuda, or Junichi Masuda, roaming note that you hear in some of the Pokemon songs and some of his other work as well, where the note kind of jumps up and down and I think Rhyme City's theme and some of the other electronic stuff in there does kind of get that vibe. But like I said, I think those are original. And any thoughts on your end on the score? I love the Rhyme City theme. Like, oh my gosh, I heard that and it was just like magic. Yeah, like the Rhyme City is my favorite track on the entire score. But I also really enjoyed the variety, I guess, in the entire soundtrack. Like the opening... Um, when they're catching the Cubone, almost sounds like the opening of like a cross between a Disney movie and Lord of the Rings or something. Like it's kind of got that grandiose, but also that positive, you know, the sun is shining on our new adventure. And then it kind of moved into some stuff that was more dark and dreary. And then you got that house music for when they're in the fighting ring. Like I just appreciate that there was a lot of variety in the types of music in this soundtrack. Yeah, I mean, if we're comparing it like musically to say, you know, I've I've had my, um, I guess you could call them gripes about some of the the anime stuff produced by uh, Shinji Miyazaki in the last uh, six or seven or eight movies. Uh, I think I enjoyed the the score to this movie as music a bit more, maybe just because it was somewhat different. If you know, if we're making that type of comparison, but. It did feel a little more lively. It isn't. It's also different from, say, the stuff that was done by, um, you know, Ralph Shuckett on the first couple Pokemon movies, or 
it might be closer to what Ed Goldfarb did on the the movies where he rescored those uh, a little bit there. And uh, you know, maybe that's just an East versus West type of thing to a certain extent. But I could, did kind of want to you know mention that just a little bit. I did like I said like the electronic touches. I don't feel like they were too overdone or anything of that nature. Uh, well, in a movie starring a Pikachu, isn't it fitting to have some electronica going on? Well, given the source material as well, I would expect uh, some of that in there. I think that <laughs> yeah. was without overstaying its welcome too much. I, like I said, I wasn't. This this isn't going to go up there in terms of scores with some of the other the movies. Like I think my four favorite movie scores in the Pokemon series of of movies are one, two, five, and ten, which is you know Mewtwo, Lugia. Uh, Latios and Latias, and then the Darkrai movie, in case you don't remember where those numbers go. Score-wise, those are some of my favorites. Um, I don't know this is quite up in there, but I did like it as a change. Now, we should mention there are two, well, probably several, but there are two pieces of score elements that are not on the soundtrack, but are definitely in the movie, Which and it's kind of unfortunate for both. One of those is an instrumental version of the dub English Pokemon theme, that uh, it plays when uh, the Clifford's father and son are doing their promo there. Um, you can hear that in the background when they're doing the promo for the parade that comes later in the movie. And also at the beginning of the end credits where they're showing the sort of like game versions of the various characters who are played by various actors in the movie. There's a, a rearrangement of the Pokemon original game theme. And neither of those are on there. I can only assume it's licensing issues of some sort. They didn't want to bother for the score album there to put those on. But they absolutely deserve it, if you ask me to be in there. <laughs> um, be nice. But I guess that just uh, wasn't something they, they had the time to to work out there. That's kind of too bad. Any thoughts, Anne, on, on those? Not much. Like, it's a shame to not have it on on the soundtrack proper. But again, I, I can see why they maybe wouldn't. And again, I'm so taken with Rhyme City and some of the other tracks that I, I don't miss them too much because I can get those themes anywhere else. I suppose so. And I guess there's a there's a couple other musical aspects. I think we're, we're more or less done with the score there. I think there's a couple other musical aspects we should talk about. Uh, one of the people in the chat wanted to know if we were going to talk about <laughs> Ryan Reynolds' really depressing rendition of the English dub Pokemon <laughs> theme. And uh, we're not sure if they replaced these instances of it with the uh, aim to be a Pokemon master in the Japanese version. Or, you know, who knows what they would have done in the Italian version of this movie. Um Oh my gosh, I know. So people from other other countries, please write in. I need to know this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it would be interesting to know those. But like I said, Ryan gives this uh, very depressing, dejected version of it. I'm not sure what else to say about it other than I'm, I'm not sure um, I would say stick to acting. I know it was meant to be a comedic <laughs> performance and all that stuff. I'm just saying... I hope it's my new ringtone. I, I want to make figure out how to make that my new ringtone. <laughs> I suppose. I, I, I like I said, I liked it. I didn't. Uh, I, I think the common theme we've come through on this discussion, Anne, is that I think you got more out of this movie musically than I did. Um, do you do you think? Well, I was I was pretty darn determined to like this movie. So <laughs> well, I like the movie. We'll talk more about the movie itself later. But as far as the music, I mean, it serves its purpose well, but it wasn't, uh, for the most part, there weren't too many parts where I said this was extraordinary and something that, uh, like, I'm looking, if I'm looking at this from a radio personality or radio programmer perspective, since I, I still do some stuff in that area, um, not sure how much of this uh, would be stuff I would be, oh, I absolutely have to put this on, at least in regards to the score oh. and stuff of that nature. Um, but we, gotcha. There's, even though it's not technically, well, part of it is music, we should talk about the fact that for the Pokemon voices, they did not, for the most part, use voices from the TV show. Uh, Psyduck voice is definitely not Michael Hagney. And uh, some of the other ones, they did use, you know, uh, Aiku Tani's Pikachu for the parts where Detective Pikachu is speaking but doesn't really have any but is not being inhabited by the soul of uh, Tim's father. Uh, right. It made me so happy to see Ikue's name in the credits and now our international Six Degrees of Separation game has just jumped up. Oh yeah, we got some good ones on this one, let me tell you. Yes. <laughs> um, but there is one other quote-unquote musical sample in there that the person who made it did not was not aware until people told her about it so 
Uh, one of the Pokemon featured in here is, of course, a singing Jigglypuff. And rather than re-record something, it looks like they just picked up a stock uh, sound of Rachel Lillis doing Jigglypuff's voice. I, I guess they must have done something similar for the Japanese version with uh, Purin, which Rachel did not know about and I guess didn't get paid for either. Um, so I'm not sure what... Well, the- as you mentioned, if if they classified it less as a voice acting role, as more as like a stock music clip, it could be that she received royalties, in which case that won't come until later. Yeah, the next quarter or, or whatever. Right. <laughs> well, I'm not sure how that was, because it was credited, I think, in the end credits as music, as were, I guess, probably the spa music in the car scene um, mm. is probably in there, and one or two other things that we haven't mentioned. I'd have to look at the credits again and, and take a look at the music credits to get all of those. But she was not aware of that until after the movie debuted, and uh, apparently some folks told her. So <laughs> I guess that makes it, you know, I mean, I guess the right option was to be getting another voice actor for Jigglypuff um, and do that. Because uh, I think the, the Jigglypuff song is based on something from the game uh, when you go to one of the Pokemon centers in the original game. It's not something that was totally made up for just for the anime. Uh, mm. it, was, it was embellished there. But I thought that was worth mentioning as something that did happen with all of this. But, yeah, if we're talking about the the sound and music of the movie, I think musically, and it sounds like you got more out of this than I did. I didn't think any of it was bad musically. I just, um, it's not going to musically compare to some of the other movies and my feeling for those, either because of nostalgia or because they had a different approach there. Uh, does that sound about right? About, yeah. Like I said, I was pretty determined to be pleased and to enjoy every aspect of this movie, but also... As you say, I've, I'm a little burned out on Shinzi Miyazaki and some of his work recently. It's like it was just nice to hear something fresh and dynamic and and different, and to appreciate that for a season. So, so yeah, I think that's going to about do it for our discussion of the music. Now, our next episode, we're going to be resuming back with the last couple of uh, animated movies that we have to work with for now. Uh, you may remember that uh, a ways back we did the Genesect movie. So, of course, our next one is going to be Diancie and the Cocoon of Destruction is going to be our next anime movie music discussion. On the English side, we have Danny Marcus with Open My Eyes. As you may recall, the X and Y generation is when the um, music sort of switched hands from the John Leffler, David Wolfert crew to the Ed Goldfarb crew. So this is going to be the first one that... So we have a sort of a different group of people working on it. And then on the Japanese side, I don't remember the artist, but we talked about this earlier, Daybreak Meteor Shower. Uh, Anne, can you just fill us in on the basics on that one? Yeah, um, Daybreak Meteor Shower by Scandal. Yeah, yeah. I have to say, uh, one of the regrets I had is that the Scandal did come to a convention I was considering visiting um, but because of the language barrier. I think they were going to be at Anime Central in, near Chicago one year. But I didn't avail myself of that opportunity, kind of unfortunately. So I guess if you want to fault me for something in my coverage, there was one point where I didn't think it was particularly maybe worth trying. But in any case, that's going to be our next discussion. So uh, that'll be coming up probably sometime next month. And uh, until then, Anne, thank you very much. Thank you. All right, folks, thanks. Thanks for listening to the PokePress Digest podcast. We'd appreciate if you rate or review us on your podcast app of choice. If you'd like to find more of our great content, visit our website at pokepress.blogspot.com. If you'd like to contact us, send an email to pokepress at gmail.com or follow at pokepress on Twitter. Okay, so this being the first live-action Pokemon movie, um sort of live action anyway. It, it was an, definitely an interesting project. Uh, I, I looked into some of like the, the background stuff on this and how like the Pokemon Company only wanted to license this side game, not the main series for a live action movie. And uh, we sort of had that transfer over, which we should also talk about uh, as sort of a bonus, uh, well, which we should also talk about a little bit. But as far as the movie itself, I really, really did enjoy it. Uh, it's one of the better Pokemon movies. If we're uh, sort of slotting it in with my list of all-time favorites, um, it's it's another one of those, I, I like to say, with the number of movies we have currently, there's a top third. They're the ones I kind of re- pretty much recommend. 
it does not top, as you might have guessed from my opinions on some of the music and other related stuff, it does not top the power of one as my favorite Pokemon movie of all time. I'm not sure we'll ever that I'll that I'll ever um get something better than that. But I, I felt the writing was pretty good. Uh the acting, uh the characters played off each other very well. Not sure how much else I have to say. It was it was fairly good. And this is, you know, we know this is the first critically, maybe not acclaimed, but certainly uh, the first, uh, as far as the uh, certain movie rating aggregator website is uh, labeling it as the first uh, fresh uh, video game movie. Um, <laughs> and what were kind of your overall thoughts? Well, I'm just constantly reminded like of back in the day when we were like, how could you ever make a live Pokemon movie? And what would that look like? And who would you cast? And how could you make it have that magic that the at that you can have in animation? And I'm just so grateful for the ambition behind this project. They did it. And I'm grateful that I walked in and from the first scene, they were talking about the philosophy of Pokemon training in a way that showed that they were taking the source material seriously. It wasn't going to be a parody of itself or poking fun at the fans. They they just straight up honest did a Pokemon movie and it was beautiful. Like I'm just so grateful that we got to have that. Yeah, I mean we've seen some of the you know, obviously very limited budget, but some of the uh fan attempts at um doing some sort of live action Pokemon thing, and it always comes off relatively cheap because these are just regular old people and they don't have that much to work with. So I think some of us probably had doubts about whether this could be done. And, you know, I, I'll have to take a look really at like the the Blu-ray version to get a, a full idea of the picture. But things things hold up reasonably well. Um, I'm sure that, you know, they bring the sequel for this and stuff. They'll work on tweaking the visuals to get them to be a, a little bit tighter and work on some things they didn't have time to, to get quite as far as they would have liked. Well, I was just, I'm thinking about other um, animated franchises that we've seen be made into live action movies. And usually there is kind of a, a tendency to skew them very adult and make a lot of inappropriate jokes or to kind of make fun of the franchise they're making into live action. And I'm just going into this movie, I was very afraid that that was going to happen with Pokemon, where it would be ridiculing and parroting as much as it would be celebrating or that it would be something that you wouldn't necessarily want to take your kids to. And it hit this beautiful balance where it's not inappropriate for children, but like that movie was made for older fans. Definitely skews higher than, you know, eight years old. Yeah, I think they did a good job squaring between sort of the the newer audience, which I think sometimes the the online fan base sometimes forgets about if they don't have kids who are old enough, which a lot of them don't yet, and also the sort of the original fan base, and also folks who maybe don't have a ton of things, like, you know, Gen Xers who were a little too old when it came out, or, you know, people who are parents of sort of the original generation and maybe know a little bit from Go and from their kids, but maybe not a ton. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a reasonably accessible movie. That's always been one of the questions I want to ask is what's the most accessible Pokemon movie? And I think this does a, a reasonably good job. Although at this point, if you don't have, you've had some pretty good opportunities to have a decent, you know, if you can spend half an hour to an hour playing a mobile game that was pretty hard to ignore a couple years ago, <laughs> you know, I mean, I can understand some people getting passed by if they, they never had kids or whatever, stuff like that. So I'm not going to fault you too hard for it. I don't know. I do kind of wonder if the better critical response is partially a function of more movie critics also being more familiar with video games. Um, Because, you know, people calling this, oh, it's the first good video game movie. And it's not just Pokemon fans who would argue with folks on that point. That's definitely something to be thought of, I guess, in the sense that movie critics, movie makers are all growing up and we're seeing the value and the art potential in those video games and things we grew up with. Whereas when we were growing up and our, you know, the adults were looking down at us, they didn't always see that same vision. So like, I think, as you say, we're kind of getting into a place where um, the movie critics are looking at these projects with a different eye. The people making movies are looking at these franchises with a different eye. And so they're 
making better movies and giving them the reviewers are giving them a chance and the audiences are appreciating them in a different way i think i i I think there's something something to that thought that could be built off of yeah well, you know, looking through some of the, the feedback on this, I'm reminded of something that uh, Stephen D'Souza, the writer-slash-director of the live-action Street Fighter movie that I mentioned earlier, said is that, I don't remember the exact word to use, but he, I think he kind of said that, you know, he got a lot of pushback for making a, a, a movie based on a video game, and he had a, an inkling that someday the source material will not have so much... Um, Weight on it is not the it's not the word I'm looking for. Uh, baggage associated with it maybe is is the word. I forget the exact w- words he used there, but it's on like the commentary for the uh, for that movie. If you ever look it up, um, and maybe we finally started to reach that point. Yeah, because movies themselves were not viewed in the best light for a long time either. And uh, just think of our generation, like when we were kids. Before Lord of the Rings came out, you couldn't like a fantasy movie or a fantasy book without being the weirdo. And now it's a an established, celebrated, um, privileged genre even. And, you know, the superhero movies, what they've done with that and the journey that Marvel just took us on. I, I think there's probably an entire paper that could be written, an entire thesis dissertation on the way we're perceiving and the the emotional baggage and critiques and how that ties into how we review a movie. Yeah, yeah. So if anyone listening to this happens to be a movie critic and maybe you reviewed some of those earlier video games slash Pokemon movies, I'm not going to say that the first couple Pokemon movies are masterpieces and everyone should like them. But I would say maybe look back at there and see if maybe there weren't some things that you appreciate more now. And I think they're better than some of their, uh, you know, Rotten Tomatoes or Metacritic ratings. Um, I think we have a tendency for those things to be very pass-fail. And I think they're they're not nearly, they may like I said, they may not be masterpieces, but I think they're better than their aggregate scores would suggest. All right, well... There's one other musical aspect I kind of wanted to talk about, and it's the fact that you may remember this movie, I believe, was originally going to be distributed by Universal. And because of, in part, some things involving legendary pictures uh, changing hands or, or whatnot last summer, uh, this, along with some, I think, some, some, some other Toho-related stuff, like there's a Godzilla movie that's coming out eventually— um, sort of changed hands and went over to Warner Brothers. So it, it's kind of a little difficult to say, like how much Warner Brothers and their like their associate record labels had to do with the music that's actually in the movie. Since I think some of that might have been determined before, or might have been determined during production and before the changeover. So some of this is going to be speculation. We don't really have the whole story here. But I kind of wanted to compare the treatment of music in the movie to some of the promotional stuff that had been done there. Uh, You may remember the first trailer that came out in November used the Turtles Happy Together. And then sort of the other stuff being used there is uh, Holding Out for a Hero by Bonnie Tyler. And then uh, there was uh, an audition video they put out that used uh, I Want to Dance with Somebody Who Loves Me by Whitney Houston. So kind of an interesting sort of uh, range there. That last one, I'm particularly familiar with the original version to an extent, at least. I certainly remember hearing it. Kind of different choices from the the main movie, which I think is is more reserved. And I kind of wanted to point that out because I'm not sure this is all... We don't really know exactly how much, like, if this had been a Warner Brothers-run project, would we have gotten something closer to, like, the first couple movies, where we got those full soundtrack with lots of pop songs in there, and a few more maybe inserted into the movie than we actually got. Mm. Um, Especially knowing, you know, myself, that one of the writers who worked in this also worked on the Guardians of the Galaxy movies, or at least one of them anyway. And, you know, we obviously know that those movies have some a lot of uh, great little insert songs. And this movie, like, like we said, uh, doesn't really have anything like that. Uh, Anne, any thoughts there? That's something to think about. Yeah, and like, we'll never know what ifs. But for my part, I, I think not having established songs as an insert is a benefit to it. But for the trailer, I, I think it worked really well because... Like, they talked a bit about this on the Moulin Rouge commentary, of all things. Um, but, like, there are certain songs that, even if you don't particularly like them, the entire world agrees that they're good songs. Like, it, even if you don't particularly enjoy listening to Elton John, you know 
an Elton John song is a pretty good song. Um, so when you play something like So Happy Together, it sparks something in your mind because it's a pre-existing song and it has so much attached to it. And the same thing with I Want to Dance with Somebody and Holding Out for a Hero. We hear that song and immediately we feel things and we think things. And the goal of the trailer is to kind of, in a very short time, get you to feel all the things so that you want to go see this movie. But I'm very glad that those songs did not end up in the movie proper because that was a different experience. Yeah, that, that's a, an interesting call there. I did kind of want to mention, though, Happy Together does have another Pokemon connection. Uh, if we go back 20 years, speaking of that, if you remember the original U.S., uh, maybe Canada, but commercials for the original N64 Super Smash Brothers, you know, the one that goes, oh. something's gone terribly wrong in the happy-go-lucky world of Nintendo. Um, that also <laughs> used the Turtles Happy Together in that one oh, as well. <laughs> I don't know what the folks who were putting together the trailer knew that. Maybe someone pointed it out to them. Hey, this song is, oh, that makes it work a little bit better, maybe, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> holding Out for a Hero, I have a bit of a history with that. I used to play that to fill time on the on PIRN back in the day. So oh, really? <laughs> I guess I'm vindicated there. As far as, like, using popular music in the actual movie, well, you know, you got Psyduck. I can only think of you know, Weird Al's I Want a New Duck, his uh, parody of uh, Huey Lewis in the News. That might have been a, a good and interesting choice there. But we'll see, you know, with the sequel, if Warner Brothers and their associate record labels are more involved on those, we might get something a little bit closer to the first couple movies and some of the, the stuff there. And it'll be interesting to see. I, I have some, depending on where they go with this, because, you know, people are talking now that Detective Pikachu's been at least somewhat successful. We won't know the full story for a few more weeks once more uh, following weeks of box office come in. You know, we kind of got to think, is there going to be a Pokemon cinematic universe at some point? And <laughs> I suppose if you're looking Who at side games. <laughs> that we'd ever be asking that question. <laughs> but, um, you know, maybe we see something like, um, you know, if you're going to do side games, something based on either Snap or Mystery Dungeon would seem like a, a possible choice there. Um, you know, maybe specific characters, uh, some of the other human characters from the video games. I'm not sure. Yeah. But we'll have to see where all this leads. But I did want to point out, like I said, that little thing about the music there. Like I said, especially knowing you know the pedigree with someone who had worked on Guardians of the Galaxy. Part of me does kind of want an alternate version of this where there are more... Pokemon Troze, the movie. I don't think we'll see a Troze movie or, or um, Pokemon Shuffle, the movie. But uh, maybe a documentary on Pokemon Go would be interesting. But <gasps> Oh! That would be a very different type of movie. But I just kind of want to swirl some of those things around and uh, put those out there. But 